Thanks for joining us for another episode of Everyday Theology, where we connect theological truths to the everyday believer. I'm your host, Ben Campbell, and I'm sitting across the virtual screen from our co-host, Dustin Walters. Dustin, how are you today? Ben, I'm doing well. I'm so glad to be here. And yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, finally enjoying some uh, some warmer weather, and uh, we just had a big storm come through that knocked power out for about three days, and everybody's getting power back. So uh, we're finally able to re- resume back to normal life here up in northeast Arkansas. So, Absolutely. Glad to hear it, man. And uh, we've got some beautiful weather here in Louisville, Kentucky as well, and a beautiful spring day, upper 60s. It's great. Yes, that's my kind of weather. So we're going to be talking about uh, a different type of podcast today, kind of an off-the-cuff podcast where um, we're going to be looking at the state of the church and kind of uh, where we are going to go moving forward. What, what will it take for the church to flourish? Um, so, Dustin, I just want to hear your thoughts from the beginning. Um, what do you think is a problem, especially um, on the kind of on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I think all of our churches right now, pastors, ministry leaders, lay leaders, just general church members are experiencing um, decline. And there's there's a great discouragement. And pastors are asking questions. Church people are asking questions. Um, we have heard the statistics from the Barna Group and from Tom Rayner and those guys that are very helpful. Um, and actually, even as Free Will Baptists, we have this ministry called Rekindle. And on the the website, it actually says, on the Rekindle website, it says that 80% of American churches are either plateaued or declining. As a pastor, when I see that, I'm like, number one, where's the source material that tells us 80%? But I suspect that they're on to something. And I also feel a fire in my bones, if you will. What can we do? If God has appointed ministers as watchmen on the wall, then what can we do to shift the tide of ever-increasing secularism and ever-increasing pleasure and indulgence? And uh, what is the answer to people that are struggling with, you know, suicidal ideations and, and mental health challenges? It's the gospel. And how do we as a church, my concern in this question uh, where do we go from here? First kind of looks at there's a problem. Um, we're not baptizing people. We're losing people. Um, and even the Free Will Baptist Denominational Research Committee uh, posted uh, some material from the 2020 convention that said basically the average age of our members is in the upper years, which praise God for senior saints. Many of them even watch our show. But we don't want just gray hair in our churches. We want intergenerational ministry. So my concern is there's decline across the board. Is there anything we can do to flip this thing around in an ordinary means of grace approach? Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's right. I think that's exactly where we come to, uh, where, where we have to go, right? Is it's, we have to go back to the Bible where the Lord uh, does in fact give us the prescription for, uh, you know, our sickness, if you will, um, in one way or another. And I don't want to sound too corny here, or too uh, maybe too off, 
off balance here, but he is the great physician. He can heal our sickness, but he also knows what he can heal, what needs to be done to heal his church as well. And um, a lot of a lot of things have affected our church with COVID nineteen as well, and uh, it, it has revealed the hearts of people is what this pandemic has done for us. Um, it has just revealed that there are there are more people who are far from God than we thought. Yeah. Well, Tom Rayner observes um, that uh, the church in America is already on a pathway to de- de- decline, and there's various reasons for that. It's disciples not being sold out. It's, you know, the fact that, you know, one in every four Sundays you're going to have different people because they're not you're not going to have – the whole congregation, four out of four Sundays, those days are gone. I would love right. to get them back. But Tom Rayner says that COVID basically pushed things forward about six or seven years. Like, you know, we were already on this path and we're blind and we've been hiding in a hole if we don't see that. Um, mm-hmm. And it really saddens me, Ben, to think about even the number of Free Will Baptist churches that have had to close their door. Um, what are we, are we just going to, keep letting the culture win or are we going to stand up for Christ in a loving way? I mean, what are we going to do about it? Right. And that, and that's a question that needs to be asked. That's, and, and I'm afraid that it's not being asked very often. Um, so, so let's think about it then. What, where do we go? What do we need to do? What can we do to research, to, to refresh, to rekindle, well, I'd like to recommend a book to our listenership, and it is um, Harry Reader wrote an excellent book called From Embers to a Flame. Um, in that book, the summary of the book is basically this. There are three key things that have to be done for a church to experience biblical, God-centered, Christ-centered revitalization. And those three categories, and this is what the whole book is about. you got to, number one, remember the first things which is the gospel, salvation, imputed righteousness, yeah. new hope. I mean, so so Harry Reader says the key to revitalization, number one, remember the first things, the gospel, evangelism, missions, discipleship. Number two, you have to repent of uh, past leadership sins, which is hard because if your church has a bad reputation in the community because of somebody in the past or you've hurt somebody or you've, You've really made a stink in the community or the neighborhood association. People know that, and that's hindering growth, and so there needs to be a public repentance. So recover the Mm -hmm. first things, um, and then you're going to, after you recover the first things, you're going to repent of past leadership sins, uh, and then you're going to go back. So renewal through retrieval, and Reader says this a different way. Uh, but basically, you're going to restore things. You're going to begin that work of rebuilding. And I know I'm probably butchering his work there, but I'm talking on the cuff here. Uh, but our our listeners need to need to get that book from Embers to a Flame. And uh, but really, I think beyond that, man, uh, if you look at the Book of Acts, if you look at Acts chapter four, uh, in Acts chapter four and verse thirteen. Uh, Luke is writing and he says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Note on holiness there. And then seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. 
But when they had commanded them to go outside the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed a notable miracle has been done. It's been evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And then they basically tell him not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. Peter replies in verse 19, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Brother Ben, we're living in a day and age where pastors are having to beg people to talk about how Jesus has changed their life. I'm not talking about random going on, knocking on somebody's door. That's kind of a safety concern in some neighborhoods. Um, I'm talking about what has Jesus done for you? You know, what is it that makes you a Christian? Because people want to hear your story. They may not be in this post-Christian, post-modern world. They may not care about meta-narrative, but they do care about your story. Mm -hmm. They care about you. And so my point is, in the early church, they could not help but speak the things that they've seen and heard. How did the early church grow? They loved authentically. They demonstrated radical hospitality. And... They talked about the gospel wherever they went, in the marketplace, in the house, when they went to the church, like everywhere they went, it was about Jesus. We are living in an era in 2021 in America where literally we're having to beg people to share their story. And we have false conceptions, which maybe we could talk about next. People sort of think, well, we pay the pastor to do this, or we pay the evangelist or the missionaries to go out and share their faith. But the thing is, listener, you have people in your life that Ben and I don't have. You've got experience and stories and sin, and you've got things that you can relate to in your job that we may not be able to. And so we just got to be faithful to be bold witnesses and be centered on the gospel. I think that's totally right. Um, I think there's a couple things that need to sort of be almost reinstated here. Um, And the first thing, of course, is that um, if you have this view that your pastor is the one who's supposed to do this, you don't have a biblical view of what the pastor does, and you probably don't have a biblical view of the church. Um, This is not how God has ordained his, uh, his gospel to go out at all. That's not the way he's ordained for this to go. Ephesians tells us that Pastors are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Um, it doesn't give pastors an out to like not evangelize and to not disciple their own people or to not reach their neighbors. Um, but a lot of times what happens is um, church members view that job as only for the spiritual ones or the holy ones, and which is a totally um, incorrect bifurcation of the membership of the church and the leadership of the church. Another thing, too, we just talked about this last night in our church service uh, on Wednesday night, but uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, I think this is so key. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our job. God, in his grace and mercy and kindness, does not just reach people by himself, but he reaches people through the agents that he has ordained, and that is you and me and everyone else who is in Christ. And By the way, 
that's powerful, Ben. And when you think about who he is, who he is called to be messengers, you know, there's this story in, I believe, John chapter 14, where uh, Judas, not Iscariot, uh, Judas, not Iscariot, one of the other disciples, uh, asked Jesus, what's your plan to show your glory to the world? And basically, Jesus says, you. Yeah. But then I begin to think about this, Ben. Paul develops this theology where he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Brother, the glory of God cannot be contained in an earthen vessel. And yet we, you and I, our friends, our family, our neighbors, are those earthen vessels broken yet restored through our great Redeemer. It is us. We are the broken vessels that will pour out his glory to all nations. That's amazing. Yeah, and and it's it's a it's total grace. Uh he does not need our help. Um he will accomplish his purpose regardless of how we act. But uh in grace and in love and in mercy and in kindness he has uh allowed us the opportunity to participate. And and that's what uh that's what should fuel the urgency of the local church especially after a year like we've had, a year, year and a half like we've had. Um, in some states, this pandemic is still going. They're still wearing masks. I don't know about Kentucky. In Arkansas, the mask mandate is lifted. We've pretty much resumed back to normal. But, you know, other states, it's not that not that uh, simple. Well, Kentucky, we're still, we still have quite a bit of rules um, in Kentucky. Um, and here's the thing that I think we're really going to have to understand. Where do we go from here in the local church and relating to missions and evangelism? Um, I hope this thing goes away. There's some people who want this pandemic to last forever and that we're not talking political ideology here. Uh, but I think it's fair for our pastors and ministry leaders to be realizing that ministry is never going to be the same. Yeah, uh, I think that's a wish dream. In fact, Mark Clifton, who is a church replanter with the Southern Baptist Convention, actually says, if you're trying to go back to something that's not revival, then start fresh. And so I think, Ben, we're going to be given some opportunities, pandemic or no pandemic. People's lives still matter. Eternity is at stake. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, John 3.36 has not life. That word is Zoe, eternal life. So if you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life, period. Mm. But if we're going to reach our culture, I think that we're going to have to be extremely welcoming and we're going to have to be extremely relational. Let me explain what I mean. I don't mean just tolerance about every view that's false and antithetical to God because, you know, if we tolerate certain views about like gender and sexuality, for example, um, that actually is bad for people because it's not part of their created design. But I think mm. we're really going to have to channel in relationships, man, like building real authentic relationships with people, not having evangelistic as Rosaria Butterfield talks about evangelistic raids to our friends and neighbors lives. But we need to have real relationships not as an evangelism project, but so that we can love our, our our strangers who become neighbors and so that we can welcome neighbors into the family of God. 
I, I yeah, I think that's just so well said. I mean, the the point of means of grace gospel ministry ultimately is to, for lack of better term, just fill your people up with the Bible, so that when they go home, the only thing that spills out is Bible and Jesus and gospel. I mean, that's ultimately what the means of grace is about because it's the word, it's prayer, and it's the ordinances. That's it. Church doesn't have to be complicated. And while church doesn't have to be complicated, there's a lot of complications even with means of grace ministry because you're dealing with people and people are complicated and you and I are complicated because we're people. But the ultimate reality here is that it's simple enough. You just have to do it. And and sometimes really the means of grace ministry is the more difficult ministry to apply and execute. I've found that to be true. It's a lot easier to just do a bunch of programs and have all this flashy stuff. Um, even though it might be a lot of busy work, it's a lot harder to talk to people about spiritual things and to address their sin and to you know persuade them toward holy living. And but that's ultimately right. where that's that's where we have to go if we're going to get back on track. Absolutely. And I think that we're going to start seeing more and more uh, small group ministries. Uh, first of all, we value the local church gathering. Um, we yeah. value the assembly of believers. We are not those millennials who are saying that we don't need the local gathering. We need the local gathering. Um, but I think uh, recently I've been reflecting on this a lot. There was a church in Canada. Probably our listeners already know about it because they saw it on social media, but they told this this church they couldn't meet anymore because of COVID. They put a big old fence around their church, thinking yeah. that they were going to silence the true church. Um, you know what the pastor did? I, I found access to a video that was at an undisclosed location where they were singing it as well. And I began to think, Ben, I think there's a lot in the future that we're going to see people coming over to our houses for dinner. And there's going to be a lot of, instead of Sunday school, which is great. We love Sunday school. I think we're going to see more and more Tuesday night dinner fellowships and Sunday Absolutely. afternoon Bible studies. I think if we're going to have a church that's going to be alive in our neighborhoods and communities, we gotta, we've got to recapture the small group. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have used this idiom, and I, I'm not a big fan of cliches, but they say you get smaller to get larger. Right? You divide to multiply. Um in fact, we've done that at our church. Um, our young adults wanted to start a small group, and they started it without me, and they started with three families, and we're up to about seven families now, and we're going to have to split it because it's it's just it's booming. And that's because that's the day in which we live. The days of door knocking, the days of you know street evangelism probably are gone. Not that that was a bad thing, not that people weren't one to Christ, but they're gone. And now yeah. we're going to, we're going to have to get out into our communities. We're going to have to go and knock on our neighbor's door and say, "Hey, I've got a five year old son. Do you have kids? Would they like to play in our yard? Would they? Would you like to come over for supper? You know, we're cooking some hamburgers yeah. on the grill. Whatever." Yeah, I'm with you, man. And even going back to um, the Acts chapter four, a lot of times our people misinterpret. They were uneducated and untrained men, and we sort of make this a model, which <laughs> is a result of the fundamentalist controversy, which, by the way, we want to give thanks 
to because um, you know things like the inerrancy of the Bible and substitutionary atonement matter. Um, but yeah. part of what came out of the fundamentalist uh, controversy in the 20th century was within certain movements, there was this anti-intellectual Christianity because we'd go to a verse like this, uneducated, uncommon men, and we sort of make this an ideal. It's kind of unique in this moment in church history. Um, <laughs> uh, pastors, you know, in the first and second century had to memorize things in Greek and Hebrew, you know, yeah, and it was hard. But my point, when it says they were uneducated and untrained men, I think what's another thing aside from relational evangelism, um, and this is not to toot the horn of academic ministers, uh, Ben and I are both educated, but we are where we are by the grace of God. But I believe with Dr. Albert Moeller and others, with the increasing secular culture that we have, if we're going to make a real impact... I think the value of higher Christian education is absolutely implicit because what we need to maintain is the holiness that verse 13 is talking about. Right. Yeah. Our character should be such that when we work our jobs, people think, why do you work so hard? Jesus. Why do you not do the things we do? Jesus. <coughs> but, but I don't think when it says uneducated and uncommon, we should never allow our intellect to be a source of pride. But, we should use our intellect. I think as our culture becomes more and more secular, it's going to become more and more educated. And as we want a seat at the table, we need to be educated. And I know that's a little sidebar, Ben, but um, I don't think when we read this verse, it means that we need less education. I think it means we need more Christian education. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I think the the point that you're trying to get at is that um, not only is education really going to be necessary moving forward, but um, it's accessible. It's really accessible. You know, 20 years ago, it really wasn't. 10 years ago, probably, it really wasn't that accessible. But now, um, online education, master of divinity degrees, even ministry certificates – are just super accessible, fully online, um, and, and fairly cheap considering. Um, and I think that is a massive part of stewardship on the part of a pastor. Um, not to say that every pastor needs to be educated or must be educated in order to be a faithful pastor. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but like, in my opinion, if I have the means to go to seminary, I'm going to go to seminary uh, because I want to be the best pastor I can be. I want to be a pastor that's faithful to the Bible, that that doesn't have to, that can answer questions without having to research every time somebody asks me a question. Um, mm-hmm. um, again, not that that's a bad thing, but but I want to know, have the foundation in order to. Um, to 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 answer questions to provide biblical answers to secularism and to the secularizing culture around us. Yeah, well, I believe that you don't reach the world by being the world, but you have to at least understand their heart language. And um, if we're going to push the thing forward in the church, and I want to give thanks to God for. Um, very simple-minded uh, theology that that led me to trust in Christ. Yes, but 
but those emotional moments that happened in my in my upbringing that I cherish and I still love the men who've poured into me uh, and continue to. And so I don't want them to hear this podcast as thinking we're bashing them if they don't have a degree. That's not what we're doing. But I'll tell you this. Um, if I had never gone on this journey of Christian higher education, I wouldn't know anything about like first, second, third Isaiah, which is a bunch of nonsense or the J E D P theory. Our people in the pews <laughs> are like, what are y'all talking about? Y'all lost <clears throat> Yeah. Me. But the yeah. people in the pew, the people in the pew need to understand that your friends who don't believe in God, they're going to Google stuff and they're going to find stuff out on Google. Like, well, Mark, Mark chapter 16, most of the old manuscripts only have verses 1 through 8. So why does the King James Bible have verses 8 through 16? Well, as a, as a trained yeah. minister, you can tell them we trust the earliest copies of God's Word. We believe that Jesus probably said these things, but we believe that based on all the manuscript evidence, which we can trust, um, that verses 8 through 16 were or 9 through 16 and Mark 16 were maybe uh, added by a later editor. And you, if you don't, if you're not honest with that as a pastor, you will have at least one person in your church who will <clears throat> Google search it. And yeah, absolutely. you don't want them believing what you don't want them buying into like what Bart Ehrman says about a text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you need to tell them the truth. Well, and, and you know, there's a time and place for theological scholarship in the church. It doesn't mean that when you preach, you spend all your time in the murky details of scholarship, but you we have to train our people to recognize these things. I mean, our people are sharing all the time these little memes on Facebook saying that Acts 8.37 is not in certain translations of the Bible, but it's in the King James. And the problem is that's because King James added it. You know, and uh, there's just there's a lot of things there that that you have to go through. And textual criticism is a major a major element to faithful biblical exposition, to to believing in inerrancy, to believing in infallibility, to believing in authority, and um, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to address those in later podcast episodes. But uh, Dustin, any final thoughts before we before we get off here? I think just very simply three things. How do we go from here? How do we turn around this decline in our churches? Number one, prayer. Prayer. Number two, uh, community. Authentic, real Jesus community. Uh, And number three, and these are not in the order of how they are in my mind, but uh, a scripture-centered community. Because God, through his ordinary means of grace, is still calling men and women, boys and girls, through the preaching of the gospel and we just must be found faithful. So, brothers uh, in ministry, uh, let's put our hand to the plow. Let's not look back. Let's look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yep, that's that's a good word to end on. And dear listener, thanks so much for being with us today on Everyday Theology Podcast. We are so thankful for you. If you would, leave us a review uh, on your favorite podcasting app. That helps us reach as many people as we can for the glory of God. 